And welcome to episode 74 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we have true crime and paranormal stories from the state of Kansas. Woo! We are back to Kansas. I will be doing the true crime story this week. Mom has the paranormal, the beverage, and the guest. I do. I have it all. Welcome to my sister. She's visiting from Bellingham, Washington. Welcome, Chris. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. <laughs> She's slurring already and hasn't had any wine yet. <laughs> all right. So there's a little town called Wamego, Kansas. And Wamego is really well known for the Oz Fest and Oz Museum. I believe you've been there. So they have all things Wizard of Oz in there. <laughs> Yes, they do. I remember going through the museum and it was, uh, they have a lot of stuff in there and they have like three or four sequins from the red slippers. They do. (laughs) No red slippers, but they have sequins. They do. We saw the real red slippers in DC at the Smithsonian. Yeah, the Smithsonian. That's right. Yeah. But Wamigo has three little beads from the slippers. Okay. So they are an official Wizard of Oz museum. (laughs) They are. They are, actually. It's a cute little town. They have a yellow brick road and everything. It's just a really cute town. But anyway. That's where I adopted my first dog, too. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Side note. (laughs) Good to know. All right. They have the Oz winery there also. And so they make different kinds of Kansas wines. And they have really cute little Oz themes on their wine labels. This one that I chose is a red wine and it's called Ruby Sippers. Not slippers, but sippers. (laughs) It's a picture of two witches sitting at the table sipping their wine. How apropos. It's kind of exactly what I'm looking at through Zoom right now. She just called us witches. (laughs) Oh. Oh, she just got it. Actually, they do kind of look like us, sis. <laughs> Ooh, it's quite a pour. All right, well, Kansas wine. Sorry, Beth. Sorry. It's okay. Soon enough, soon enough. Well, cheers. Cheers. You know, it's not horrible. It isn't. What kind of... <laughs> you guys seem very surprised. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Kansas is... I love Kansas, but Kansas is not really known for its wines. But it tastes yeah. equally as good as some of those cheap California wines that Tom gets. <laughs> it's comparable to cheap California wines. Well, there you go. <laughs> okay, so this is an American table wine. Oh, okay. It says. So it should just be easy um, to drink, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I have to read this. Every bottle of Oz wine is handcrafted with the heart to make it unique, the courage to make it bold, and the knowledge to make it the best. How cute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, enjoy this wine as you gather with friends and loved ones, and perhaps a little dog, too. Well, we've got a big dog taking up most of the room here. (laughs) 
in your own journey down the yellow brick road of life, wherever the road may take you. Oh, that's, that's nice. cute. I know. It's really cool. So we'll have a, we'll post a picture of this wine, of course. Well, what and does it taste like? Is it fruity? Is it? It is very fruity, but also in, I mean, it's fruit forward, but then in the back, it's a little peppery. Even. Yeah, it's got some pepper. It's kind of dry, I would say. And you didn't even decant it. We're <laughs> drinking it straight out of the bottle. <laughs> And that is rare in my mother's house. Tom decants wine like three or four times back and forth before you drink it. (laughs) So it's very fruity, but it's dry. I think that's the best way to describe it. Huh. I'm curious. I'm actually impressed. It's easy to drink. Good. Well, Well, thank you you so much for drinking with mom so she's not drinking alone Uh, again. We don't want her to drink alone. I know. It's so sad. Again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I was excited to have you on the show. Thank you for letting me come on to the show. <laughs> Still don't have the right uh, technique here, but we don't know what we're doing. We just yeah, wing we it don't too. Even know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, and I'll take the rest of the bottle and head out to the pool. Oh, red wine at the pool. Yum. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Oh, I'm jealous. I miss red wine the most. I've had a couple sips because I'm in the third trimester now. But, oh, do I just... I ugh. Anyway, talking about wine. Yes. You and I were having a wine night the night we first heard about the case I'm going to cover. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. I'm intrigued. It was back when we were all in lovely quarantine in 2020. You and I saw this case unfold on Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Oh. You and I were both in shock that it was a story from an area not too far from where I live, and we had never heard it before. Yeah. I hate that it had to take a wine night and an Unsolved Mysteries evening with my mother before I first heard this case. This case stuck with me. And I've been following along with it since I saw that Netflix episode. It's another one of those cases that just doesn't sit right with me. Another victim that needs a voice. Alonzo Brooks's story needs to be shared. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah, I think you and I were so upset after. Like, I think I stopped watching. We did. We could the Netflix watch thing anymore. because I was too upset about it. Like, yeah, mad. it was, it was episode four, and I think we had only watched two that night, and we were like, we're done, done. Like, we were not just watching so it again. I'm too emotionally <laughs> wrapped yeah. up in this. Yes, yeah. And to be honest, I really wanted to share this story on the podcast for a while now, but I was breathlessly awaiting new news or answers to come because it's kind of been in and out of the news in the local area here and there. And I was just waiting for just something to break so that I could share the full story with some closure to it, maybe. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, those answers have still yet to come. And there's people that still need to come forward. It's another case where somebody knows something. So hopefully putting this out on our podcast, getting it out to you. Maybe you guys all start talking about it. A lot of you are from the area that we are in. And even if you're not, that's fine. Just getting people to talk about it. Right. Just 
maybe some answers can be discovered. Like I said, this story is told on Netflix's volume one of Unsolved Mysteries, episode four, No Ride Home. I definitely recommend you watch it, but I will be referencing it a lot in this episode. Alonzo grew up in Topeka, Kansas, in a house filled with brothers and sisters where he was the baby. He grew up fast trying to keep up with all of his older siblings, and he had that 80s childhood. I guess what I mean by that is that he played outside. (laughs) Oh, yes. He played outside basketball, karate, football, played games with the neighbors. I mean, he was a happy, busy little boy. Nice. Friends and family regarded him as polite and a bit shy. He was more of an introvert, but he loved to be a friend. He was close to his family and had many neighborhood friends, one of the closest being Rodney English, who loved Alonzo like a brother. At some point in his teens, the family moved from Topeka, Kansas to Gardner, Kansas, Being from the area, I think I'd describe Topeka as being more urban and Gardner a bit slower paced, more suburban. They're only about an hour apart from one another, and Alonzo made new friends, but he still stayed in touch with those friends back in Topeka as well. Okay. He also stayed active in sports, and he especially really fell in love with football. At the age of 23, Alonzo is living in Gardner with his mom. One of my resources claimed he was working as a custodian at a local school. He had a small group of friends, again, still keeping in touch with Rodney back in Topeka. He played basketball and football in his free time. So the date is April 3rd, 2004. And Alonzo comes home and tells his mom that he is heading out to a party with some friends. She asked the right questions. Where are you going? Who are you going with? But at the same time, he's, he's 23. Right. Right. Yeah. But he's living at home. So it's exactly. a respectful thing to do. Yes. When will you be back? Yeah. Yes. And he's very respectful of his mother. He told her that there was a party out in Lacine, Kansas for a guy leaving for the service. Okay. Pause. I have to give my two cents in this whole party thing because according to my resources, It's not even clear how Alonzo and his group of friends heard about this party in Lacine. Lacine is an hour away from Gardner, Kansas. Oh. I don't know if the group of guys just heard there was going to be some big bash out there and just decided to go last minute or what. So so there was no connection as far as friends there? There was no connection? No, there really wasn't. There were not very many gardener people at the party. It's far away. It's an hour away. And a lot of the guys that were interviewed in the Unsolved Mysteries episode said that they had never heard of Lacine, Kansas before the party. I've never heard of Lacine, Kansas. (laughs) So, and I'm assuming because they didn't reference this guy leaving for the service that none of these guys knew the guy leaving for the service. Oh my gosh. How so did I really they get think there? Yeah, I really think maybe they just heard hey there's gonna be this huge party in Lazy Kansas. <laughs> but another thing, and maybe this is just because of my personality, but there was no plan in going to this party. I think it was four or five in the group with Alonzo, but they took two cars. Okay. And don't even get me started on the fact that 
It's an hour away, and they didn't plan on anyone being their DD. Ah, well, young guys. I I know I've been a teenager in my early 20s before. We don't think with our whole brain, but... But an hour away on the highway. I don't think... Even in college, I think I would have been like, all right, is somebody going to be the DD? Am I going to be the DD this weekend? Right, right. Me and my girlfriends always took turns... Mm-hmm. You know, once a month or and whatever. And you weren't driving an hour away on a highway. No. That's, yeah. And and it's back roads. It's a, it's a country. They're country roads. But like I said, in your early 20s, you think with half your brain. And so that's going to be the first hangover rule in this episode, especially for some of our younger listeners. There is nothing wrong with a spur of the moment party. Go. Have a great time. But make sure there is some plan behind it. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have a safe ride home. Yep. If you're too far for, for an Uber, make sure you have a DD. It's just yep. things are so much easier now because you can call Uber. But I know. don't know. But if when you're Uber would when go you're, out to Lacey, no, 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 not for them. <laughs> no, I'm talking about just in general. In we general, didn't have Ubers. You didn't yes, even just, have Ubers. No, so. just make sure that you have some kind of a plan. Okay, moving on. A friend from school, Justin. Sprague, uh, S-P-R-A-G-U-E, uh, was Alonzo's ride to the party. Now, I have to mention a comment made from Rodney English, Alonzo's childhood friend from Topeka. Mm-hmm. There was a quote from him in the Daily Mail saying he was a little surprised that Alonzo would even agree to go all the way out there to that party. Like I mentioned, he was more of an introvert. And this party wasn't a group of his friends or anybody he really knew. It was a party, like a hundred people at this party. So his friend Rodney from Topeka, he he didn't go. No, Rodney is in Topeka. He's not in Gardner. He's two hours from Lacine. He's not hanging out with these guys at all. But he just made a comment in the Daily Mail that he was really surprised that Alonzo, being as introverted as he was, to be going an hour away to a party where he really didn't know anybody. Didn't know anyone. Right. It really surprised Rodney that he would want to go. Quote, I don't know how they got Alonzo over there. He must have been drinking. He must have passed out on the way there for him to be in a car more than 45 minutes to go to someplace he never heard of. Unquote. In fact, another quote from an anonymous source claimed that Alonzo and his group of friends had been drinking since noon that day. Oh, boy. And again, guys, there is nothing wrong with a little day drinking and then going to a spur of a moment party. I am not bashing that at all. I am not victim blaming. There is nothing wrong with any of that. It just is. They just weren't thinking then. There was just no plan. We're going to drive an hour away to another party. And maybe that does make sense that they had been drinking since noon, that they got a call that there's another party somewhere. Like, let's just keep this buzz going. Like, let's just go to the next party. And I've been there. We've all done that. But it's just there's got to be some kind of a safe ride home. That's a long way away. And to add to all of this, one of the friends in the documentary claimed that Alonzo didn't usually party with them very often. Oh. Nonetheless, on this day, April 3rd, he did. Okay, so the three friends named in the Unsolved Mysteries episode that went to the party with Alonzo was Justin, who was his ride there, Daniel, and Tyler, who rode separately. 
They were driving out to a large party in Lacing, Kansas, where there really is not a lot to be seen. Right. Hey, can I interrupt you just a second? Do you have any idea? There's only four of them. Why they took two cars? Exactly. That's why I stated that before. There was only, I think there were other, there's maybe one other guy that rode out there with them. But that's why I stated that before. I don't understand if there's a group of four or five of them, why they took two vehicles. That doesn't make sense. Okay. So Lacing, Kansas is not a lot to see there. It's a very small, small country town. At the time in 2004 when this, they didn't really, there was no gas station there. Like it's Mm. very small. There's a gas station there now. There's a Casey's there. (laughs) I Google mapped it. I wanted to see what the area was like. I mean, they really are not exaggerating on the documentary when I Google mapped it. It is a small town. It sits on a small river. And according to the 2010 census, the population was a little over a thousand people. Oh, wow. Okay. So just outside Lacine on Country Highway 152, the guys find a long gravel driveway that leads to a farmhouse where a party was obviously taking place. The house is pretty far back off the road, surrounded by large fields with a small creek called Middle Creek running by it. Justin and Alonzo pull up and apparently Alonzo got out of the vehicle with his case of beer saying, quote, who wants a beer, unquote offering it to the people standing outside at the party. It was a party with flip cup, beer pong. Some people were dancing. Some people were playing cards, you know, the normal drinking games. And one of them even said on Unsolved Mysteries that the age was about 16 to 21 years old at this party. Oh, wow. Okay. When Daniel arrived, because remember, they drove separately. Mm -hmm. It was another one of Alonzo's friends. He claims that there was about 50 people at the party at the time he arrived. Six to eight of them he recognized from Gardner, but the others there he had never seen before. Mm. Again, like I stated, Alonzo was more of an introvert. But according to these friends that went to the party with Alonzo that night, they claimed he was more outgoing and having a great time. So according to Daniel in the Unsolved Mysteries documentary, he said that, He met up with Alonzo sitting at a table playing cards or some kind of drinking game. They took a few shots of Jaeger together. Then Daniel got up to go chat with somebody that he had just seen walk in or something. And before he knew it, he heard a scuffle between Alonzo and another guy at the party. They had gotten into some kind of a heated argument about something, but it was never made clear what the argument was about. Hmm. Daniel helped break up the argument. And from there, the party just kept on. Now, I have to pause the story again to share some details that I wish weren't even a necessity to be shared. But all of these friends, Justin, Daniel, Tyler, all of these friends from Gardner are white. Mm -hmm. Alonzo is black, Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And according to reports, he was one of maybe three black men at the party. Oh, even that many. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. I absolutely hate that I have to even share that detail because Alonzo is Alonzo. But I think it comes it comes into question. Yeah, he's a kind guy that loved football, his family. He was a person. But I feel like mom just said, I feel like I have to mention this fact that he was black and his friends were white. Because in the party, there were claims of some racial slurs being thrown Alonzo's way. And the disagreement that Daniel helped break up could have been racially driven. 
the whole party is a little foggy to me. Like I said, this story really stuck with me when I first saw it on Netflix, and I've been following it in the news ever since. And this part in the story, the party, is never shared the same way in any resource. Some resources claim that Alonzo had upset some male partygoers because he was flirting with a white girl at the party. And that's what I heard, yeah. Some resources claimed the N-word was thrown around a lot. And when I read that, I mean, if this was my friend and that was happening, I would want to make sure that he's comfortable. I'd want to get him out if he wasn't. Like, Right. I wouldn't put up with any of that. I would want to leave. But Daniel was even quoted as saying on Netflix that... Quote, Alonzo, he didn't sweat nothing like that. He didn't let that worry him at all. That wasn't going to ruin his good time, unquote. So, but but at the same time, that's coming from a white guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's coming from somebody who was friends with Alonzo and didn't think about it. But there are other people out there that think differently. I just have to, unfortunately, throw that out there. Plus, how well did he really, I mean, yeah, he was friends with Alonzo, but how close were they? I mean, it sounds like he's just speaking for him. But anyway, go ahead. It does. And but again, he's a white guy speaking for his black friend. Mm-hmm. So it the whole party is incredibly foggy for me because the Netflix documentary, they kind of mentioned racial slurs being thrown around. But they mm-hmm. also claim that he was having a great time and he didn't mm-hmm. want to leave. So right. it just doesn't add up to me. Either it's one or the other, I would think. And unfortunately, that foggy feeling of what exactly happened at the party continues. I I mean, all those details are left in the hands of the party goers. And I don't know if there were any sober minds that evening. And if, you know, and Alonzo was a stranger coming in. So did they recognize him? Did they not? Was there something big that happened? Was there not? Like, we just don't know. And nobody has come forward to seeing anything, any little detail, any big detail to straighten any of this out. Mm. Daniel claimed he stayed at the party for about an hour and a half before he got another call for another party. He hitched a ride with someone from Gardner and headed out to the other party. The other friend, Tyler, said he was only there for about 45 minutes. He claimed he said goodbye to Alonzo and left around 11. Justin, who had been Alonzo's ride there... He and Alonzo had run out of cigarettes, so Justin left the party to go out to get some more. According to Justin on Unsolved Mysteries, he got lost leaving the party on dirt roads and found himself about 30 minutes north of where he was supposed to be. He called another friend at the party and asked him to find Alonzo and tell him that he had gotten lost. He claimed he could hear Alonzo talking smack in the background that he had gotten lost. Justin made plans for his friend Adam to give Alonzo a ride home. Okay. Okay. So pause the story again for hangover rule number two, the buddy system. We learned it in kindergarten. (laughs) No matter how much fun one person is having, if the other wants to go, they both need to go. They need to stick together. I'm not talking so much that it was dangerous that Justin left Alonzo at the party, unless there really had been some racial or derogatory things and threats being thrown around. But it was also dangerous for Justin to want to go off and drive off in a dark area. He he claimed he had never even heard of Lacing, Kansas. But there he's are no go. lights out there. <laughs> no, he's in the middle of the country, drunk. Probably would end up in a field. Oh, my gosh. But he's going to go out and look for cigarettes all on his own. Like, <laughs> it, it just stick to the buddy system. 
(laughs) (sighs) All right. The next morning, April 4th, Alonzo's mom, Maria, received a call asking to speak to Alonzo. She goes looking for him in the house and he's not home. She's instantly worried because that is so unlike her son to not come home. Not only that, but he would have at least called. He was very respectful of his mother. Maria starts calling around to all of Alonzo's friends she knows. Before long, everyone is calling around asking if someone had seen Alonzo. One person Maria called was Rodney, Alonzo's childhood friend in Topeka. Mm -hmm. He headed out to Gardner from Topeka right away. Oh, really? He had never met Alonzo's friends in Gardner before, but he met up with them and went with them to lay scene where the party was the night before. When they got to the farmhouse, they got out and started looking around. Some of the guys went and checked by the tree line of the creek in case Alonzo had gotten drunk and decided to sleep outside. That's what Justin claimed. Mm, which, okay. Does he do that often? I, exactly. Like, is that like... <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> uh, Rodney points out on Unsolved Mysteries where he discovered Alonzo's boots. That's right. Skull cap or a beanie, whichever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm. So remember, there's a long dirt road leading to the farmhouse. Well, it was as if someone was leaving that dirt road, heading onto that country highway and just tossed it out the window. That's right. This is what was said on Netflix. In a resource I read, it claimed that, yes, the beanie seemed to have been thrown, but the boots were set nicely next to one another on the side of the road. Oh, there were two boots. I thought there was just one. No, two boots were f- for found. Oh, okay. And okay. Netflix claimed that two boots were found, okay. but that they were kind of thrown in two different areas. Right. Oh, that's where but I got a- the one. Okay. okay. But another resource claimed that they were set nicely, like across the street from the driveway, just nicely sitting there. Okay, that's weird. All right. Paired together. Yeah. Regardless, the main thing to take away from from that is that Alonzo did not have on any shoes. Not only is that weird to just start walking around in the country without your boots on, he had actually injured himself playing basketball the week prior and had been limping for a while. Another reason why he probably would not have removed his boots to go for a leisurely drunken walk. (laughs) While they were out there, a man drove up on a four-wheeler from the farmhouse and told them all that they needed to leave and get off his property. It's actually really sad because on the documentary on Netflix, when Rodney is pointing out to the camera crew where the, he found the boots and the beanie. Mm-hmm. You can tell that he's really uncomfortable. He even states to the camera crew that he wants to get out of there, that he needs to get out of there because he didn't feel safe and he felt that he needed to leave. I can't imagine having that feeling, especially like in, in the middle of the day. It, it's just really sad that... Is Rodney black also? Rodney's black as well. Oh, and it's, it's so sad that anybody would ever feel that way. And my heart just breaks that you just don't feel safe. You can kind of tell from Unsolved Mysteries that there is some animosity from Rodney towards Justin. Quote, how do you take someone out to a party in the middle of nowhere and don't come home with them? Unquote. Mm-hmm. Later on in other resources, there's some more things that Rodney shares on Justin. And I'll cover that a little later. But at this time, the guys are forced to leave Lacine. Oh, they are because of the farmer? Or why are they I forced mean, what? to leave? There's nothing to do. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing so to do. So has, uh, what does Adam have to say about all this? Because didn't Justin ask Adam to bring Alonzo Adam home? has not been a quoted source anywhere. 
Um, apparently, according to Justin in the Netflix documentary, Adam just missed Alonzo or Alonzo missed Adam. They just never met up at the party. It just sounds like Adam left Alonzo. Oh, jeez, Louise. Okay. Maria did not go out to lay scene, but she went to the police department and filed a missing persons right away. Of course, she was told she had to wait 48 hours to call him missing. Her response to this was, quote, no, I'm letting you know that he is missing now because I know my son. He comes home. Something is telling me that something went wrong at that party, unquote. That Sunday night, Maria calls her son, Alonzo's brother, Billy. Early Monday morning, Billy and his wife, Cindy, head out to Lacine. They actually get in touch with the owner of the house where the party was held and find out that the house was empty. Oh. No one had lived there. It was used as a rental. And when they pulled up, it was exactly so. Empty. It didn't look like a house that had had this huge party just the other night, Cindy claimed. Oh, that's right. The couple drove around the small town, eventually going to the police station to have a conversation with the sheriff there. They, of course, got that drone response of, quote, he's going to show up any time. He's just probably out there doing what kids do, just walking around. Without his boots on. Yeah, exactly. That was Cindy's response. How many people do you know are out there walking around with no shoes on and it had just rained? Mm. They left the town, putting all their hope in the police, just hoping to find their missing brother. This is where I started getting really mad. I remember this. <laughs> that night, Lynn County Sheriff Paul Phila was a deputy at the time of Alonzo's disappearance. He was directed to go to an address in Lacine because there had been a report of a missing person last seen there. He goes, and Alonzo is not at the house. They walked the creek bed that night. There was no sign of Alonzo anywhere. Mm -hmm. So good news or bad news, Mom? (laughs) Uh, I want the bad news first. Well, I'll start with the good news because there really was an extensive... (laughs) There there really was an extensive search done. Like, honestly, I'm not attacking the police here because the Kansas Bureau of Investigations, KBI, was sent out there. Dogs were sent out there. Kansas Highway Patrol supplied a helicopter. I mean, that really did look. Yeah. Bad news. This all started on April 7th. Three days had gone by at this point. Did they find anything? Nothing. By April 10th, the FBI comes out and joins in the search. The Mm. FBI. The police are doing several interviews. And that fog that I mentioned before at the party starts to set in again for me. News teams reported that guests to the party had reported that Alonzo was threatened at the party and had been the target of racial slurs. Now, if this was the case, why the heck did his friends leave him there? Uh, Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't make sense to me. It's two different stories. His friends say that he went and was having a grand old time, but then reports of other partygoers are saying that he was the target of racial slurs and threats. Yeah. Uh, so did those maybe uh, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Uh, do could those threats have happened after the guys left? The and guys that from Gardner could left? very well be the case. I guess some reports even claim that things got really heated towards the end of the party, towards the okay. end of the night. So that could have very well been the case. And, you know, more alcohol leads to more fights. And of course, yeah, I mean, yeah. April 12th, the Lee Summit underwater rescue and dive team are brought out. When they come out, the creek was about three feet high at its deepest parts. They searched a great deal of the creek. In the creek, along the creek banks, clearing brush and searching for 
anything that they could find, but they find nothing. So an extensive search was made, it sounds mm -hmm. like. I mean, a very good search. Yeah, they didn't find anything that even showed a body had been in the creek at all. They told the sheriff that they would come back out if they wanted them to, but they weren't invited to come out and search again. All of these search parties, dive teams, cadaver and scent sniffing dogs, nothing of Alonzo's was found. It was now April 15th. He had been missing for 11 days. Now, all of these searches were orchestrated by the KBI. Mm -hmm. The family wasn't allowed to be anywhere near the investigation. They called daily to the sheriff's office for news and were actually told, like, hey, guys, stop calling us. We'll call you if we find anything. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? I'd probably be calling every hour. <laughs> once they felt that they had concluded their searches, the KBI, once they thought that they had mm -hmm. finished their searches, the family was allowed to conduct their own search on May 1st. I mean, that's basically a month after yeah. Alonzo had gone missing. Right. They didn't know what they were exactly looking for. They knew that the big searches had been done at the farmhouse in the area, but they wanted to do something. They needed to do something. Sure. They wanted to find how Billy described it, just some representation of their brother. A group of family and friends arrived at the property on May 1st. They all split up, some walking the fields. They split up along the creek. 30 minutes after the teams had gone their separate ways to look, the radio goes off. We got him. We found Zoe. Mm. And there he was, Alonzo Brooks, laying on the side of the creek, not covered in any brush or mud, just laying there. He looked as if he was sleeping, his uncle recalled later on. Dr. Eric Mitchell, a forensic pathologist, performed the autopsy, but he couldn't find any cause of death. Oh, wow. No acute bone fractures, no evidence of sharp force, no gunshots or stab wounds, no broken bones at all, no penetration of bone. Now, could he have drowned? Sure. But there was no specific anatomic signs to make the determination of drowning. The airways were empty. Could he have been strangled? Sure. The soft tissue of the neck were gone and had been damaged by animals and insects. So there was nothing there to determine if he was or wasn't strangled. Mm. But there were no marks on his body, no bruises as if he had been beaten or gotten into a fight. He wasn't swollen. Quote, Mr. Brooks died. I do not know the circumstances of his death. I do not know the cause of his death. Unquote. From Dr. Mitchell. News spread quickly. Lots of chatter in that small town. But... None of it with specifics. It's all rumor. It's all hearsay. It's all, you know, I heard that there was, you know, he was flirting with a white girl. And I heard that there was a big racial argument and no facts. None. Just, and then right. some are like, oh, he was held in a meat locker. Oh, Just that's all right. these that's crazy right. stories are coming yeah. out. So um, maybe you can't answer this, but were his feet bruised at all or cut or anything? Because he didn't have his boots. No bruises, no cuts, nothing. Here, towards the end of the Unsolved Mysteries documentary, one of Alonzo's friends says that, you know, maybe the N-word was thrown around a bit, and Alonzo would have been mad about that, I do believe. But hold on, earlier in the episode, earlier you said another he was friend chill. stated that he wouldn't have been bothered by that. He wouldn't have wanted his fun time being ruined. So again, it's like, what the That's heck? True. Pick a story. Like, right. 
uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. It was very, it's in one documentary, and I'm not talking about all the resources I looked at for this case. In one documentary, it starts out as, yeah, there was some racial stuff, but that wouldn't bother Alonzo. But then towards the end of the episode, another friend is like, yeah, I guess the N-word was thrown around, and that really, if, if that's the case, and that really would have gotten Alonzo mad. It doesn't, yeah. It's, it's so one frustrating or the other. to me. It's literally, and again, I am not attacking these people. I don't know these people, but it's just like they went to a party to have a good time selfishly, like on their own. Like it just didn't, it didn't matter. I don't know how close of friends these people really were. Like, well, that's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm wondering. Would they really know him? And then you have the KBI out there, you have the FBI, dive teams, dogs, and they find nothing. But 30 minutes in to the family search, they find him. That. That part, I remember that part. That made no sense. Just out in the open, not covered by brush or anything. I mean, his papers and money in his billfold, they're not damaged at all. He had some paperwork with handwritten, like, penned notes on it. Mm -hmm. All intact, not blurry or washed away from water in the creek. And you said it had rained. It had rained. It's almost as if he was placed there. It's like Uh, they heard the KBI and the FBI are done searching, so... Whoever, let's get rid of somebody, him. Let's get rid of him, now. him Let's get rid of yeah. him. It's just, it's, it's an interesting note to mention was that the pathologist said that there's nothing that allows him to know if the body had been frozen or not. If you find it immediately upon thawing, there are some microscopic changes that might suggest that that had happened, but there's mm-hmm. no way to prove or disprove that a body has been frozen. Oh. So that meat locker story. Huh kind of it gets a little curiouser a little curiouser and curiouser (laughs) okay alice (laughs) who alice in wonderland said that as she's falling down the rabbit hole and we are falling down this rabbit hole of this case (laughs) wow how fitting march of 2019 the kbi released a statement regarding alonzo's case quote the kbi was one of the several law enforcement agencies to investigate the april 4th death of alonzo brooks No evidence or information gained throughout the lengthy investigation indicated that Alonzo Brooks was the victim of a crime. For this reason, the investigation into his death was closed. Period. Unquote. How can we find all this stuff suspicious and the KBI closes a case and doesn't find anything suspicious? You know, they are keeping things away from the public for investigation purposes. We know that that always happens. And they had firsthand interviews with a ton of people. I'm sure it's a small town. I'm sure there was a lot of people at the party that were interviewed. But they closed but, but it. That's they it. Didn't it was keep closed. It open. That and did. you and you and I looked at each other at the end of the episode and were like, "No way." Like yeah, I was That's we where we got so really pissed. really mad and refused to watch anymore. We were and so upset. I think a lot of people felt that way after watching this episode because since then the case has been reopened. Nice. They exhumed Alonzo's body from a Topeka cemetery to help find answers. According to a CNN article I read, the details, of course, are being withheld from the public for investigation purposes. Mm -hmm. But the new autopsy will be looking and focusing on the injuries to Alonzo's body that the examiner concluded are inconsistent with normal patterns of decomposition. Oh. Quote, we are investigating whether Alonzo was murdered. This is coming from the U.S. attorney Stephen McAllister, said in a news release at the time. His death certainly was suspicious, and someone, likely multiple people, knows what happened that night in April 2004. It is past time for the truth to come out. 
The code of silence must be broken. Alonzo's family deserves to know the truth, and it is time for justice to be served, unquote. And from their new investigation into the case, the FBI also announced early this year that their investigation has proved that Alonzo's death was, in fact, a homicide. Homicide. And wow. they are still looking into it being a racially motivated homicide. Mm-hmm. There are things obviously being discovered behind the scenes to lead them to this fact that is that it is a homicide. So right. I can't sit here and tell you guys what has come to light. I can just tell you that it's been ruled a homicide and they are looking into it. And the case has been open. Yeah. The family okay. is very open to support and tips. I reached out to them on their Facebook group, Justice for Alonzo Brooks, and received a lovely response from Alonzo's aunt, who also wanted me to inform all of our listeners about the reward the FBI is offering. They're offering a reward of $100,000 to anyone who has information on Alonzo's death. I agree the reward is important, but this is the last rule for my portion of the episode. (laughs) Rule number three. The rule being, just do the right thing. Yeah. What is yeah. this code of silence? Get Are over you it and me? do the right dang thing. If you know something, anything, the family also gave me the FBI's phone number for their tip line. You can stay anonymous. Just do the right thing. Well, that's just it. You can stay anonymous. Nobody has to know. Clear your conscience and, <laughs> and step forward. And I know through mutual friends of mine, friends of friends of friends, I have talked to somebody who knows somebody who was at the party because I was really trying to get some resources here. And that person who was at the party has spoken with the FBI last year when they reopened the investigation and something happened to talk to the FBI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I understand there's some kind of scared factor out there. I I just, if you know anything, uh, you can call the local, the Kansas City FBI. It's 816-512-8200 or the tip line is 816-474-TIPS. I, like I said, you can call the tip line, stay anonymous. Nobody has to know. Call from a payphone. Do they still have payphones out there? I don't just, think so. I just can't imagine the weight of that knowledge on your heart <laughs> and on your shoulders. I just... I can't and even you, imagine. And you might that. think that just the little tidbit that you remember is, is so not important. Yeah. But it is so important. Just any little detail I can imagine would be so would be so helpful. Right. I would love answers for this family and some justice for Alonzo. And this case really has killed me. I'm going to stay in touch with uh, the family's support group. Again, it's called Justice for Alonzo Brooks. I'll post their group on our Facebook. Yeah, he deserves justice. Yeah. And that poor family, too. I just, again, I'm going to start crying here. I mean, I think we were both bawling after that episode. It was just, it just tore my heart in half. And And originally I thought it was because it was, it happened so close to home, but it's not even that. It's just, just that hate that's out there. And then the the people, hundreds of people, there's a hundred people at that party. Really? And, And nobody's saying anything? I said I would come back to it. Um, Rodney was quoted in another article saying that Justin changed his story a lot. Mm. Uh, He originally told Billy, Alonzo's brother, that his car had broken down on the way to get cigarettes and that he had to pull over and fix his car in the middle of the night in the dark, which doesn't make any sense. 
And then the later story that he ends up telling on the Netflix documentary is that he got lost. So that's a little shady, but he was the one, if you remember, you just, your heart breaks for him a little bit because he's like, I would trade places with Alonzo right now. I, I do now. Yes, he's I do remember riddled that. with guilt. I know. You can't blame anybody in this, but it's just like, come on now. Time has passed and the truth needs to come out. All anyway, right. we will post those phone numbers. I will also post the website that you can log on and send them a tip as well. Do what you can and then follow my hangover rules. Okay. <laughs> on to the paranormal. <laughs> Your hangover rules. Okay. I think they're rather important. They are very good hangover rules. Have Definitely. a DD. Make a plan. Buddy system. Have a buddy system. Always. And do the right thing. <laughs> Somebody put it on a shirt for me. <laughs> Three hangover rules. They're good rules to follow. I mean, how many times have we done one of these true crime things where girls go out to a bar or something together and then the one doesn't want to leave because she's talking yep. to somebody and they leave her and she they she's never seen again. It happens. It happens. <sighs> a lot. Happens way too often. All righty. Well, I'm not going to go too far from Topeka. Okay. I'm going to go west from Topeka. We're going to go to Fort Riley. Okay. All right. Let me give you a little history on Fort Riley. It was established in 1852. The site was first called Camp Center because it was thought to be the center of the United States. Uh, surveyors were only about 80 miles off, which is really, I mean, we're oh, talking wow. 1852. They were using the Lewis and Clark mapping system. What is the center of the United States? It's 80 miles from Fort Riley. <laughs> <laughs> she thanks, Mom. <laughs> On June 27th, 1853, the camp was renamed Fort Riley in honor of Major General Bennett Riley, who led the first military escort along the Santa Fe Trail and had died a month earlier due to falling ill with cholera, which went through the fort. The epidemic lasted only a few days, but left 75 to 125 people dead. Oh, wow. Riley being among the dead, as I said. Many of the buildings on the... What are you, Dr. Seuss? Huh? Riley being among the dead, as I said. <laughs> he wore red and had a bald head. And then he was dead. Okay, <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, sorry. <clears throat> Many of the buildings on the fort were built with native limestone from the area, and several of these buildings still stand today. And you know what they say about limestone and water and residual forces? Just ask Zach. He knows. <laughs> I'll get him on the phone right now. <laughs> So as a matter of fact, I lived in one of these limestone houses that was built way back when, um, when I was in high school. You lived school. there way back when. <laughs> I did. I lived there way back then. Yeah. <laughs> but the house was really old <laughs> when I lived there, okay? <laughs> now it's really, really, really old. If it's still standing. <laughs> I, it is. It's still standing. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, I can't say that the house was haunted, but I know that I was always terrified to go in the basement. I just Ooh. hated to go down the basement and there was some weird things that happened down in the basement. But this isn't about me. This is about Fort Riley. Anyway, I've I've been in a few of those Fort Riley homes, a few of them, and they're old. <laughs> well, yeah, honey, they were built, you know, like in 1853. OK, so they're yeah, they're old. <laughs> 
Two former residents of Fort Riley are rather well-known names, one of them being Wild Bill Hickok, who was a deputy federal marshal in Fort Riley. I did not know that. He also served as a scout for General George Custer during the Indian Wars. So a little side note here, it was while he was at Fort Riley that he put on a Wild West show, and mm-hmm. the show was called The Daring Buffalo Chasers of the Plains. <laughs> and it did not end real well. Some of the <laughs> buffalo he was using he used in the show got spooked by a gunshot and trampled some audience members. <gasps> that oh, was a slow no. reaction. <laughs> well, I was so, thinking I didn't want to be rude to your I didn't want to be rude to your story, but did you know they're actually bison? Buffalo yeah, are in they, Africa. They called them buffalo because they did they were wrong. Know. I think I taught you that child when you, you were did. a little girl. <laughs> I know they I were wrong, but I couldn't people. change the name of this because they did not know that they were not buffalo. They were bison. But anyway. Well, I was thinking about that and then I heard trampled and I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Snap back to reality. Another well-known name is General Custer, who yep, was stationed at one. Fort Riley for only a year. I thought he was stationed there longer, but he wasn't for he only was a year. only there a year. They like really honor him there. Well, because he was a big name. But during that year, he and his regiment left the fort to participate in a campaign on the plains of western Kansas and eastern Colorado. And while there, Custer heard of the cholera outbreak on the fort and rushed back to check on his beloved wife, Libby. Aww. She was healthy, but Custer was court-martialed and suspended from the army for one year. For returning to Fort, because he returned to Fort Riley without permission. Come on, Custer. (laughs) The buddy system. You left all your guys out there. Oh, no. He took, he took guys with him. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. We're leaving the war. We're going to go home. Check on our women folk. They stuck to the hangover rules. (laughs) Several times through the years at Fort Riley, the Buffalo Soldiers, remember I talked to th- about them before, the 9th mm-hmm. and 10th Cavalry Regiments of All Black Soldiers were stationed at the fort. Another famous resident was Lieutenant Colonel George S. Patton Jr. You've heard of Patton? Yes. He lived on Main Post in quarter number five. These buildings were constructed in 1903 and 1904, and yes, they still stand also. Well, if the ones from the 1700s are still standing, I would hope the ones in the 1900s are still standing. Now, quarter five, where Patton lived, is not only famous for its occupant, but also because it is the home of the first working indoor toilet. Say what? This is a big thing. Well, yeah, that would be a big thing. (laughs) And supposedly there's a sign in the bathroom that says Patton pottied here. They have the same toilet still there. Well, I don't think it's the same. It didn't say Patton sat here on this toilet. <laughs> it said Patton pottied here. <laughs> Is it patent? <laughs> Is it a patent potty? <laughs> I'm sure the potty is patent. <laughs> it's a patent potty. But not by patent. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sorry. Are you? Are you really? Okay. No. <laughs> On January 1st, 1893, Riley became the home for the Cavalry and Light Artillery School until 1943 when the Cavalry was disbanded. 
In fact, Fort Riley has and is still providing an important role in the defense of our nation and the training of our soldiers, which we all know if we live close to Fort Riley because you can hear the, the, the uh, artillery going off. going off and it shakes your whole house. I guess it's not cannonballs, but the artillery <laughs> going off. It sounds like cannonballs. <laughs> it is so loud. It shakes the whole house. And I've always just imagined Take it cover, being there's cannon. a cannonball coming. <laughs> Every night. <laughs> okay. okay. Fort Riley is the home of the 1st Infantry Division, the Big Red One. Probably doesn't mean much to a lot of people, but my dad served in the Big Red One, so I'm really proud of it. This was the first division to fight in World War One, World War Two, and Vietnam, and the yeah. first to return to Iraq in 2014. And my dad was in the Big Red One. Yes. 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 So I'm proud so. of the Big Red One, too. So I just have to say their motto, no mission too difficult, no sacrifice too great. Duty first. Love and it. And that's what they, yeah. Yeah. That was my dad. You can okay. add that to the t-shirt. <laughs> with the buddy system? For hangover rules. Yes. Okay. So with all that history, you know you're going to have some, maybe one or two hauntings. Maybe. <laughs> Especially in that patent potty. <laughs> no, the patent potty is not haunted, but. What? Come there on. are a lot of haunted places on Fort Riley. <clears throat> and in fact, Fort Riley every year has a ghost tour, which is super fun. And I have actually led or been a guide, I guess, on this ghost tour two or three times. They do it around Halloween, right? They do it in October. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a blast. So I'll share some of the ghost stories from the tour, but also add some. Trolley Station. In July of 1855, cholera was diagnosed at the fort, and by the end of August, most of the fort was dead. A woman named Susan Fox lived with her stepfather in a small framed building across the creek, or creek from the trolley station. Engaged to be married soon, she was home alone for several days when her father was away and her fiancé in a nearby town of Pawnee City caring for the sick. She con contracted the horrible disease and she died alone in her home on August 30th. Her fiancé discovered her body after he returned to the fort and she was buried in her wedding dress in a small grave near the railway bridge to the trolley station. So the trolley mm. station still stands and I it's this limestone building, this little limestone building and I will try to post a picture of it. After her death, the residents of the house described many strange occurrences. Her fiance was quoted as saying at the time, quote, "It was a difficult passage for her and Susan came back to her old home several times demanding to be let in." Oh. Residents often reported hearing strange noises and shrieks. On another occasion, a maid ironing in front of a window was so frightened because she saw Susan staring at her that she threw the iron through oh. the window. <laughs> oh, no. But can you imagine you're just kind of doing this mundane thing, mundane yeah. chore and all of a sudden you see this face of this woman just staring at you through the window. I might have thrown the iron, too. I don't know. I think I would have. I actually, I know I would have. <laughs> so the post commander, who was so irritated by the complaints and disturbances, paid out of the fort's funds for a priest from Junction City to perform an exorcism. Afterward, they raised the building to ensure Susan's hauntings would stop. But still, she is seen in many parts of the fort, and especially oh. around the trolley station, looking for something or someone she lost. That is Susan. 
quarters one, two, four is unrequited, what, unrequited love. Mm. Unrequited? <laughs> Quited. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Unwanted. Unreturned. This horse Unre- is, this horse, <laughs> horse. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> this house is reportedly haunted by a woman who drowned herself in a well on the fort grounds in the 1860s. Now this horse, gosh darn it, God, <laughs> house is right around the corner from where I used to live. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is there a horse coming up in any story you're about to tell? <laughs> no, there is a horse and the horse is coming up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Good. Thank goodness. Cause gosh. <laughs> Over the years, residents have reported hearing loud noises during the night, such as someone dragging a wooden box up and down the stairs. Why would she be doing that? I don't know. At one point, it was so bad that a priest, again, was called to do an exorcism. At first, the ceremony was successful, but apparently the ghost returned several years later. However, nothing has been heard from the ghost recently. Okay. (laughs) That haunting just doesn't make any sense. She killed herself in a well somewhere else, but yet somebody's dragging no, a no, box. No, 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 on the ground. The, the well was behind the house. I don't know what the box was. Maybe it was letters. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> just making you know? stuff up now. I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay, here comes the horse. The old trooper statue stands over Calvary Parade Field. It's a representation of a cavalry man from the late 1890s. The man sits proudly on his horse, Chief. Chief was an actual horse that served on active military duty from 1940 to 1949. He died in 1968 and is buried in front of the statue. Chief was buried with full honors, standing upright with his saddle and bridle on. The story goes that poor Chief had to actually be buried twice. The first time he bloated and he rose. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So the second time. That was disturbing. (laughs) The second time he was secured down. How? (laughs) Probably with weights around his ankles. I don't know. Now, I'm not sure about the truth on that story. (laughs) That is actually a story I told on the ghost tour. So. The Calvary the parade of that are interesting. <laughs> but the Just Calvary saying. parade field has certainly been mentioned many times as far as ghostly sightings. And this is pretty cool. I know the Calvary parade because that's where I got stung by two bees. Yeah, that's right. You heard me right. I was at the Apple Fest or Apple Fest. Day f- Festival, whatever it's called. And they have all the Calvary horses there. And I was sitting on the bleachers and a bee stung me on my thigh. I was probably like six. And then when I got up to cry and tell my dad, another bee stung me on my <laughs> other thigh. <sighs> Traumatized. I'll always remember right. that area. Anyway, residual haunting of Beth screaming as a six-year-old is there. Was probably Perhaps that is. Six, Perhaps anyway, it is. Anyway, go on with real so, hauntings. Numerous people have reported first feeling the vibration and then hearing the sounds of horses thundering across the parade field. That's pretty cool. But the horses cannot be seen. Other times, people have reported seeing the horses and their riders racing across the field, but there's no sound. Oh. Isn't that I think interesting? I prefer the sound over the sight. That is very interesting. Mm, but would you think about it? That's kind of spooky, too. Could this be Custer and his men racing back to his beloved Libby? Because the intersection where the horses stop is where Custer once lived. Yep, the Custer house. No, the Custer house is not actually where he lived. Uh, Okay. I'll tell you. Custer house is next on the list. (laughs) 
What was formerly known as Quarter 24, this structure is one of the four original buildings left from the original post and has been in continual use since it was built. Made wow. from native limestone from the area, the building is structurally simu- similar to the original set of office quarters that George Armstrong Custer and his wife Libby lived in from 1866 to 1867. The actual building that Custer's lived in is long since burned down. Oh, So today, Quarters 24 stands as a museum exhibiting life at the fort in the late 1860s. It's pretty interesting to go in there. Haunting reports from this house first began in 1855 when the fort was hit by another cholera epidemic that claimed many lives. Man, I can't catch a break. The ghost spirits were blamed on those who had died of the horrible disease. Specific reports include a sergeant who worked in the building in 1970s who said that he often heard strange noises coming from the upstairs rooms, including what sounded like someone putting a boot on, then stamping his foot, his foot, (laughs) stamping his foot on the floor. These noises always came at a time when no one was in the upstairs rooms. Just one boot on one foot? (laughs) I guess the boot on the other foot was already on. I don't know. <laughs> the sergeant also reported that a teddy bear in the children's room kept moving around. Though he always placed it on the bed before leaving, he would arrive the next day to find it had been moved again, usually sitting on top of a rocking horse in the room. Now, why he didn't just leave it on the rocking horse, I don't know. They obviously, obviously wanted the bear, the bear to be there. Just wanted leave it to there. be on the rocking horse. It didn't hurt anybody. The rhyming is really coming out. Leave the bear there. <laughs> Another soldier who worked in the Custer house reported that she would often arrive in the morning to find a bed in the upstairs room that appeared to have been slept in. The same soldier also reported often feeling like she was being watched when she was in the museum. Somebody living in the walls. The last, ugh, ugh, that was such a creepy story. The last time that I led a ghost tour, obviously not during COVID, but before that, we went to the Custer house as a group and there was a paranormal investigator there that took us through with his equipment. He didn't pick anything up, but I'll have to say that when I went upstairs, and maybe it's just because it's an old house, but I did feel it felt different than being downstairs. And they say that in the upstairs bathroom, a woman can be seen occasionally. Bloody Mary? In the mirror? Oh, gosh, Mm -hmm. no. (laughs) So I do have to say that I felt just different. I can't explain it. Uh, Okay. Post headquarters, and this is where your father used to work. The building once served as a hospital, and the sound of gurneys being pushed down the hall have been reported, as well as reports from people who have seen the figure of an old nurse walking down the hall. Sound of gurneys would be so creepy. I think I remember Dad telling me that. Yeah, I think so, and he might have I'm, heard I'm pretty it. I'm sure not... he had, even though he's not really a paranormal enthusiast. I'm pretty sure no. he's the one who's told me about it. But yeah, ask him if he had heard the gurneys. At the actual hospital, that is the army hospital there, in the biomedical room, the fire alarm goes off without being triggered. Once after Ugh. the alarm had gone off eight times, the fire marshal just disconnected it. <laughs> oh, no. The alarm went off three times after that. Oh, my gosh. It still went off. 
Oh, that's so oh. crazy. So while leading the tours, I like to ask the group if they have any unexplained experiences on Fort Riley, you know, just to mm-hmm. make it personal. One story that really sticks out to me was told by a member of the tour. He was an MP and, okay. um, oh, sorry, that's military police. He said that he and his partner were checking the school up on the hill in Fort mm-hmm. Riley and they saw lights flickering on and off. But no one was in the school when they went to check. And then they heard children's voices. Now, this is late at night. I mean, I'm talking around 12, okay? They heard children's voices coming from outside on the playground. And they went out to check of the playground. But it's empty. But then they saw one swing. Now, there's a lot of swings here, okay? But only one swing was moving back and forth. Oh, my gosh. That's like that story in Leavenworth that my sister told me. That's creepy. Yeah, that is really (sighs) creepy. And this guy was like, yeah, he was on the ghost tour probably because his wife wanted to go on it or something. But, you know, (laughs) is this big guy and he goes, I was so creeped out. I was so creeped out. I just wanted to run away from there. Yeah, I think I'd rather hear the Calvary running than children playing on a playground. And then all of a sudden being quiet and you oh. see one swing going back and forth. So it couldn't be the wind. That's like all a of horror them would be movie. Moving. I know. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. All right. So that's creepy. My creepy Fort Riley stories. <laughs> I know. They're ghost stories. Well, thank you for sharing them, Mom. Hey, I got your mind off of Alonzo for a little while. Yeah, but I'm very disappointed that the patent potty is not haunted. The patent potty is not haunted. It was on the Haunted Ghost Tour. That's how I knew about it, because I had to tell people. Patton lived there, and there's a sign that says he peed there. (laughs) So weird. All right. Well, that is episode 74. Don't forget your hangover rules and don't forget to do the right thing. That's the most important one. And call. And again, we'll have those numbers listed in the website where you can submit that. Website, Facebook, wherever. So absolutely. Next week, we will be moving on to Arizona. Arizona. I'm going to. I have the true crime and it is one everybody has heard about, but I wanted to do my own research into it. And let me tell you, there is a lot out there on this one. So, Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. And that'll be coming out on July 5th. So I hope everybody has a good 4th of July. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Fourth of July, which happens to be a favorite among all of us, right? Oh, especially this year because the entire family will be getting together. The whole family and their pets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're going to have like four dogs, four dogs, a cat, two toddlers. And a whole lot of adults. (laughs) Yeah. At least 10 adults. It's going to (laughs) be... It's, it's going to be something. That's what it is. It's going to be fun. It'll be a it'll be a great time. So anyway, happy 4th to all of you. Stay safe. You can find pictures from this week's episode and those phone numbers for the and links and everything on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. Patreon is still a thing. We're still very thankful it's for still you. A thing. You can join our Patreon. There's a link in the description of this episode. There's also a link on our website. 
email us your stories. If you've been anywhere that we've covered, we want to hear about it. Or if you have a place that you want to recommend us cover or a crime that's touched close to your heart that you'd like us to cover, please email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Well, this is another virtual episode, Mom. It was, and it's fun, but boy, I loved recording when I was there with you face-to-face. I know. We will be doing that here very shortly, though, because big old whale of a pregnant woman me needs to be floating in a pool and (laughs) my toddlers to be chased for me. So we will be at your house very soon. Obi's excited about that. (laughs) He's excited. All right. So virtual cheers, mama. Cheers. I love you, Kit. Obi, this is not your show. (laughs) He's saying cheers. Love you, kid. Thank you.